exhibition, he saw paintings by the Swiss symbolist Arnold Birklin. The Christian name struck him because it was the same as his own. He had forgotten where most of the paintings in the rooms behind the shop came from. Some had been inherited from his father. Others were sold to him by people clearing out their attics. Looking through them one day, he came upon a picture that reminded him of Vienna. It had the scent of Birklin about it. It was a painting of a mermaid swimming inside a glass vase, with a narrow neck, trying, perhaps, from the expression on her face of fear and desperation, to climb out of the vase. All was glaucous green, but for her rosy flesh and her long golden hair. Arnold Wren called the picture Undine in a Goldfish Bowl and showed it to an expert. The expert said, Mr. Wren, I am ninety-nine percent certain this is by Arnold Birklin. Arnold was an honest man, and he said to the potential purchaser of the painting, I'm ninety-nine percent sure this is a Birklin. But Maurice Stemmer, rich and arrogant, fancied himself an expert, and was a hundred percent sure. He paid Arnold the sort of sum usually said to be beyond one's wildest dreams. This enabled Arnold to buy a house in Chepstow Villas, and to go further afield than Vienna on his holidays. His was a Portobello Road success story. When his father died, Eugene moved the business to premises in upmarket Kensington Church Street. The name in gilded letters on a dark green background was Eugene Wren Fine Art. Albert Gibson, the fruit and vegetable stallholder, married into a family of thieves. His only son, Gilbert, had been in and out of prison more times than his wife, Ivy, cared to count. That, she told her relatives, was why they had no children. Gib was never home for long enough. She was living in Blaygrove Road when they built the Westway, which cut the street in two and turned two Blaygrove villas into a detached house. The Portobello Road was a stone's throw away, if you were a marksman with a strong arm and a steady eye. Joel Roseman never walked with a purpose. He wasn't going anywhere, but mostly round in a sort of circle from his flat in a mansion block at the eastern end of Notting Hill Gate. When he first tried it, he'd attempted going out in the late afternoon, but it was March and still daylight. Next time he went out after dark, and that was better. For a long time now he had found life better in darkness. That was why he dreaded the summer, when it wouldn't start getting dark till ten. But now it was April, and exceptionally warm, dusk coming at seven. He wore sunglasses, a special pair in which the lenses were darker than usual. The allowance Pa paid into his account regularly had just come in. Joel brooded on Pa as he walked along, wondering why he was so cruel, and how it was possible that a man whose child had drowned could have that picture hanging up in his house. He stopped thinking about it when he found a cash dispenser in a bank wall at the bottom of Pembridge Road. He drew out a hundred and forty pounds. He put twenty-five pounds into the pocket of his jeans, 
and the rest into an envelope. This went into an inside breast pocket of his jacket. He was taking these precautions because he intended walking up the Portobello Road. It would be his first visit. His mother had told him, she went on speaking to him when Pa did not, that if your house was burgled and your silver stolen, the police would advise you to go and look for it on the stalls in the Portobello Road. This had made Joel think that the market was a dangerous place, somewhere to be careful. But by 7.30, he'd decided, the stallholders would be packing up. He was surprised to see that this was not so. The place was packed with jostling people. No one took any notice of him. He walked on, not stopping, not considering buying anything. There was nothing he ever needed except food, and not much of that.